Reading this morning from Mark 6, 14 through 20. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled. Yet he liked to listen to him. Thank you, Laura. Good morning. I was reading a story the other day about a man named Shaka Resor. He was a man out of North Carolina who was on the run uh, for 10 years from the police. He was uh, a drug dealer and had committed some pretty serious crimes, and they were after him. Uh, And he was on the lam for 10 years, and they were looking for him. He was on America's Most Wanted, uh, all over TV. Everybody knew his face. And then one day, he walked right into the middle of a police station, and he surrendered, turned himself in, after 10 years being on the run. And all the news reporters were coming around him and saying, why in the world would you turn yourself in? There's going to be incredible consequences for your crime. And he said this, I turn myself in because it's the right thing to do. I'm tired of living this lifestyle. And now that I've turned myself in, I have an incredible weight lifted off my shoulders. That was his response. King Herod, who we're looking at in today's chapter in Mark 6, has an incredible weight on his shoulders. He's a conflicted man. He's been on the run from his sin, and he's ended up Tormented by his choices. Everything in his life is starting to fall apart. And his sin, in the end, ended up costing him everything. He lost all of his power, and ultimately, and God only knows, but he seems to have lost his soul. A death of his conscience. The whole time for King Herod, there was a cure for his conflicted spirit. For his conflicted life. And that cure was to be found in Jesus Christ. If only Herod would have surrendered. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would do an incredible work in our hearts, that you would dig uh, into our hearts. And Father, uh, help us to surrender unto you. Not to keep being on the run and and, uh, trying to to live two lives, we're drawn to righteousness, and, and yet we, we still choose to live in unrighteousness. 
Father, we don't want to sway back and forth. We don't want to have a conflicted life, and we, we feel the weight on our shoulders. And so, Father, may we surrender unto you. In your beautiful and precious name, amen. Well, the story recounts John, the beheading of John the Baptist. It's, a, it's kind of a gruesome uh, story. It's, it's filled with all kinds of intrigue and scandal. Josephus tells us that uh, the story took place in a palace, uh, Macarus it was called. It was a desert fortress that was 3,800 feet perched above the Dead Sea on the east-hand side, oftentimes called the Black Fortress. Today, if you go there, you can actually go down the dungeons, and there's still the dungeons with the incredible hooks and, and all the chains that are still there from ancient times. It was a dark place. And above that was this incredible palace. John the Baptist, as you know, was the forerunner for Jesus. He was the voice in the wilderness, speaking of the Messiah who would come. He was not worthy even to untie the sandals of the one who really could forgive sins. He was a fearless prophet. He was an incredible man of God. Jesus Christ said this about John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, among all of the men that are born of women, there has not risen a man greater than John the Baptist. Jesus loved John the Baptist. Jesus admired him and respected him and honored him. And as far as a man of God goes, he gave him great esteem. So the story recounts all that took place with the beheading of John the Baptist. Jesus had come into town. He had said in Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Basically, there's a new king in town. There's one who is Lord of the Sabbath. There's one who's forgiving sins. There is one who is, is casting out demons. There's one who is healing. And look what verse 14 says. King Herod heard about it, for Jesus' name had become known. In the region of Galilee, everybody knew about Jesus. His name was being known. And his name today is still being known and going forth. People are hearing about Jesus. One of the great ways they're hearing about Jesus is our brothers who are giving out Gideon Gideon Bibles, right? His name is known. You can't go hide in jail. He's going to get you there. His name was being made known. And he makes himself known to all. Ultimately, as we know, the scriptures say, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Herod heard about him, and it stirred him up. I think it stirred him up in a couple of ways. One was fear. Wait a second, I'm, I'm the guy who's in charge of these lands. I'm the Tetrarch. He wanted to be called king. And so people gave him that name, but he's really a tetrarch. He was in charge of a fourth of the region. I think stirred him up. He's troubled. Why? Because the guilt, the heaviness of his sin was weighing upon him. It had a a Shakespearean result in his life, didn't it? Blood on my hands. Blood on my hands. You can't wash it off. Herod was troubled as he heard about him. His father... Herod the Great, remember that guy? He was also troubled when he heard about the birth of this king. And so Herod the Great, what did he do? He sent out a bunch of soldiers, go wipe out all the little boys two years and younger. 
And so Herod Antipas, his father, Herod the Great, also fearful, troubled by this king who's come into town. What an incredible family heritage, right? Absolute disaster, mess, full of sin and evil and, and turning away from God. And it was passed on to Herod Antipas, his son. Well, here's what I want to do this morning with this chapter and with this section. I want us to, to go through the rest of the story. And I, and I hope that what we'll see is, as Herod makes these choices, he, he basically makes choices that continue to lead further and further into destruction of his life. All along the way, he had opportunity to turn from that, but he did not. I hope this chapter for us, and what I want us to see is that it's a, it's a warning for us as, as we engage or are drawn into sin, as we're drawn into a, a lifestyle that is moving away from Christ, that we would turn back to Christ. It's a warning about the outcome of sin, and it's a reminder of what it does to your soul, to your spirit. And it's also a reminder that sometimes we get to a place where we don't even hear the voice of God anymore, as he's trying to woo us back, call us back. And that will bring us to a place, and what I want together is that we find this cure together, because there is a cure in Jesus. John... Is a, is a wonderful man. He's confronted Herod, right? We, we know the story where he shows up and Lord just right. He shows up and he says, listen, Herod, it is not lawful that you are having Herodias, Philip, your brother-in-law. It's, it's not lawful for you to have him as your wife. What happened is, is Philip lived in Rome. He's with Herodias there. Then Herod Antipas, with his wife, they, they traveled to Rome while they're in Rome, Herod is checking out Herodias and going, hey, I like what I see. And you know what? She's saying the same thing. So they basically run off together, have this uh, affair. Now, here's what you've got to understand something. I mean, it just, gets, it just gets crazy. So Herodias is actually, is actually the, niece, the niece of her husband, Philip. Okay? Herod is the half-brother of Philip. So she is married to her uncle, Philip, then runs off with her other uncle, who is also his niece. Do you see what's going on here? Is this messed up? This is messed up. And it, trust me, it gets worse. Salome, the daughter of Herodias, ends up marrying another great uncle. I mean, it's just messed You thought the TV show Scandal was awesome? No, no. The Bible. The Bible and all the political, just, ugh is amazing. You don't need to watch TV. Just read the Bible. (laughs) So John confronts it. It is not lawful for you to be married to Herodias. It is not of God. Today's culture, we might say, oh, that's just, they're so old school. I mean, they really love each other. We We shouldn't hold back love. They seem to have a good relationship. You know, Herod and Herodias were like Ahab and Jezebel. They really were. You remember Ahab and Jezebel from Old Testament? They were evil, evil, evil. Who did they go after? Elijah. Jezebel kept trying to take him out. Here with Herod and Herodias, they're trying to take out John, the other prophet, John the Baptist. Herodias is so tired of John approaching Herod. 
John to Herodias is like this scab that keeps getting peeled off. Just this major irritation and just this nagging thing in her life. And so she wants to look for a way to take care of John. So look at the scriptures with me, starting in verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came, and on his birthday, Herod gave a a great banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and she danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. The king said to the girl, ask me anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you will ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So she went over to her mother, what shall I ask for, she said. The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me right now, right this moment, the head of John the Baptist, and I want it on a platter. Off with his head. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, brought him back his head on a platter, and presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Opportunity. Herodias, the evil one, couldn't stand John and the fact that He kept bringing truth to the table. And all of a sudden, Salome, the daughter of Herodias, does this dance, does a little macarena. You know, it's interesting. You never, you never in high court would have a princess do a dance like this, ever. You don't think this was plotted out? That type of dance, and it was a seductive dance, that type of dance was only for prostitutes to please their dinner guests and seduce them. You wouldn't have a princess of the court, which Salome was, do a dance like this. You don't think Herodias had been planning this out to wipe out John? Snap goes the trap on the mouse. John's head on a platter. Sin is like a spider weaving a web. It starts with one little strand, and then it ensnares you and takes you further and further than you ever wanted to go. All planned out, delivered. But don't feel sorry for John. It wasn't the end of his life. It was the beginning. Beginning of real life for him. Everything they longed for. Ultimate relationship with his God in heaven and eternity. He had the cure. He had the cure for a conflicted life. You know, I have many friends who are going through cancer of various forms and and there's, there's all these wonderful trial drugs uh, to, to treat different cancers. And, and many of you are familiar with these. And we're always praying. We're always praying, Lord, I hope this trial will work. But here's something I want you to know about the cure for a conflicted soul. It's not a trial drug. It's a sure and certain cure. And it comes in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a cure that frees you from your sin. It's a cure that draws you into life. 
How do I get a hold of Jesus Christ? How do I get a hold of this cure? And it's like this beginning story we had this morning. We must surrender our lives unto Christ. It's repentance. It starts with repentance. And this isn't only for the one who doesn't know Jesus, okay? This is for us in life as we get down this path and we start to realize we are getting way off the path. We're not even hearing anymore from the Lord. We've gotten so dark and and, and it's gotten so fuzzy for us because sin is starting to entangle us. The cure for a conflicted soul, a conflicted life, begins with repentance. Repentance is a turning, isn't it? But it's not only a turning, it's, it's I shift from going this way, and I'm coming this way, but it's saying this. Jesus, you're this way, and not only am I coming towards you, but I agree with you. I agree that you are the way of life. I agree that, that you are the one who forgives my sin. I agree that you are the Savior. I agree that what you say is actually what brings me life. And so I turn, I repent, because that sin has been starting to take me further and further away from you, and I'm feeling the weight, and so I'm showing up, and I surrender. It's repentance, and it's relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can forgive your sins. The only one. He's the only one who says, and I wash you clean. He's the only one who says, you are forgiven, my child. He's the only one who frees you up finally. You're no longer shackled to the chains. He's the only one. And he wants to draw you away because he knows, like Shakar, who was on the run for 10 years, he knows that your soul is in torment. You are a conflicted soul, and he wants to free you up from that. It reminds me out of Luke 7. Remember the story of the woman who basically, they say the sinful woman, the woman who was probably a prostitute, Jesus is having dinner, and she comes in and interrupts the whole dinner party, washing his feet and and, and pouring oil on him and and, and washing his feet with her tears. Remember what Jesus says? He says, I came into this house, you guys, and nobody, nobody washed my feet. Nobody gave me a kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing me and and my feet. She's she's washing me with her tears. Here's a woman, and this is what Jesus says. Here's a woman who has many sins. Many. And then you remember what he says to her? He says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Because of your faith, you are forgiven, my child. You're set free. Why? Because she surrendered all. She came in and said, my life of sin is, is taking me to a place I never wanted to be. And so I surrender all. What's the cure for a conflicted life? It's repentance. It's surrender, it's relationship with your loving God who wants to give you life. You see, the tragic story of Herod's life is he had the opportunity to repent, to be freed, to change, but he feels the weight of sin. Look at verse 16. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, and it's emphasized in the original language, he knows it was him. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. It's it's still nagging at him. It's still eating away at him. Mark Twain says, he says, an uneasy conscience is like a hair in the mouth. You You can never get rid of it. It just is always... And that's what's happening with Herod. He can't get rid of it. 
It's gnawing at him. That's what a conflicted soul is all about. Now, the problem is Herod would never surrender his pride. He wouldn't surrender his power. Herod is confessing his guilt, but here's the key. We don't just say, oh, I'm sorry. He's confessing. He says, I'm the one who beheaded John the Baptist. But he's not seeking forgiveness, is he? He's not seeking forgiveness from God. There is no repentance here. And so what happens is, more and more, and this is what happens with us, as we continue to choose unrighteousness, as we say, I want more unrighteousness, that's what I really want. What happens is we have a death of conscience. That means we have a moral compass, which we we know is good. We have that moral compass of God, God's moral compass. But even when we know and we start to figure out this is not the way of God, we say, I choose I choose unrighteousness. And then, unfortunately, what happens more and more, we don't even hear the voice of God. Jesus is calling out to Herod. Jesus loves Herod. Like any of us, he wants him to come to repentance and into relationship with him. And so Jesus is using all kinds of measures, especially John the Baptist, to come and speak truth to him. He would hear Jesus' voice calling his goodness, and that's through John, but he kept turning his back. And again, I just want to say this again. This isn't just for those who don't know Christ. It's for those of us who are followers, yet we're living this dual life. We're saying, I just want Jesus light, you know? Give me just a little bit of Jesus. I like the goodness of it. I like coming on Sunday morning, and that feels kind of okay. But then, unrighteousness, ungodly living, you, you, you go and you choose to live that most of your life. And so you end up with a conflicted soul, a conflicted spirit. Your conscience is just wrestling all the time. And this passage is a reminder, draw back to Jesus. Repent. It's not this fire and brimstone. You know, you, you hear the word repent, you're, you're thinking the preacher's supposed to be up here, you know, laying it down. No, repent is, is a real humble, it's a humble act of just saying, Lord, I surrender. Forgive me, Father, for I have, I have gone away from you. And let him forgive you. And let him wash you. Let him renew you. And be restored. Be free. Have a conscience that is clear and good. You don't have to live in this conflicted life anymore. John is showing up. And he keeps speaking to to Herod. These opportunities come. Repent. Now John says, look at in verse 18, he shows up. He's calling Herod to recognize his sin. For John has been saying to Herod, verse 18, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Again, he's not politically correct here. I mean, he doesn't mince words. He's like, this is not of God. Now you got to understand something. Herod is not Jewish. That doesn't matter. John's laying out what is right before God Almighty, who's created all nationalities, family, background. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. This is what God says. And he speaks forth his truth. John had been bringing God's righteousness for quite some time. The text has the idea that John keeps showing up. That's why Herodias couldn't stand him. When we're drawn to sin, when we're drawn to unrighteousness, one of the ways that the Lord helps us from from going down that path One of the ways that the Lord steps in with us is he brings people into our lives to speak truth. That's what God does, because he loves us. Because, you see, God knows knows where this path leads. 
when you choose unrighteousness, when you choose sin, he knows where that goes. That goes to destruction of your soul. That leads to a conflicted spirit. That leads to, really, to death. He knows where that path goes. And so he's drawing you back, and he's drawing you back. And he brings people into your life. We end up being conflicted because we, we hear the truth, but we don't want to change. And what happens is we start to, to sear our conscience. We lose sight of what is good before the Lord. What's the cure? Repent today. Turn. Agree with Jesus. With the power of Christ, He will help you to change and to turn. You see, sometimes you say, there's no way I can't turn from this. As a follower of Christ already who's going down this path, yes, you can. Because you have the power of the Holy Spirit. He will help you to to change directions. And for those of you who don't know Christ, He's going to get a hold of you like He did Paul on the road to Damascus to kill Christians. He's going to grab a hold of you and he's going to help you to have new life if you'll just surrender unto him. What's the cure? Repent and come into relationship. Invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. Stop pretending that sin is not doing damage to you. John 1, 9 and 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, remember, don't ever forget that he is faithful And He is just. He will forgive us our sins and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't you want that shower? He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. But if you say, well, I haven't sinned, we make Him a liar. And the Word is not in us. Will you open your ears to loving correction in your life? Please, will you do that? You know, I do a lot of marriage counseling and and a lot of times we have couples come in and, and we try to, to give God's instruction from His Word for the marriage. And there's an awful lot of head nodding that happens. You know, there's a lot of head nodding. But then there's no change. There's no repentance. There's no asking for forgiveness. There's, it's like we're just playing games. Like, thank you. I like the righteousness. I like to hear what you say about marriage. And, and it's good. It kind of makes me feel good for the moment. But I'm not going to surrender that unto the Lord that God will heal my marriage. I won't do it. You know, some of you may be called to be like John the Baptist, to come to Herod, so to speak. Don't shy away from that calling. Don't shy away from being truth. But it's always truth and love, isn't it? Always coming in. It's always with a humble spirit, without judgment upon the other. Speak as the Holy Spirit prompts you. Do that gently. But bring truth to a brother or sister who's going away from the Lord, continuing to walk away. You know, Herod ended up a ruined man. That's the end of his story. He, he wanted it all. He wanted all the power. And actually, what happened is, he, he goes to, 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 the, uh, to the emperor of Rome, and he says, listen, I want my title to be, he was called Tetrarch. He goes, I want to be officially called king. Dumb move. You never go to the emperor of Rome and say that. He gets banished. He actually gets sent out to Lyon, France. He's banished there in France. And his buddy, Pontius Pilate, he also gets banished with him. These guys, these guys are just, they're, so, they're so, uh, so controlled by their, 
their desire for power and, and to have control over life. And yet they live and everything's falling apart around them and it just ends up ultimately in destruction. It was so fleeting. We don't totally know, again, God's the only judge of the heart, right? But Herod, Herod seemed to have a conscience that was totally seared, that really didn't listen to God anymore and any of his prophets. Do you remember when, do you remember when Jesus was brought before Herod Antipas? First he's brought before Pilate. Pilate's like, I'm not responsible for this. I'll send him over to Herod Antipas. Remember what happens in that scene? Shows up before Herod. Herod's asking him all these questions. Scriptures say this. Jesus did not say one word to Herod. It kind of indicates like, Herod, you had lots of opportunity to respond to me. Jesus did not say one word. Herod had become so hardened in his heart and his conscience was so seared that then from that place, when Jesus didn't respond, remember he has the men rebuke him and they dress him up like a king. That's a dark soul. You continue to go down this path, 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 where you're saying, I really prefer unrighteousness. Your conscience becomes seared. Here's a conflicted life. And we'll finish with this. Look at verse 19. Herodias had a, a grudge against him, wanted him to put to death, but she could not. But listen about Herod. Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him with gladness. What a conflicted soul. John's confronting him with truth, and he's just kind of he's kind of stirred by it, perplexed by it, and yet he receives it with gladness. Herodias is wanting to kill him, yet I'm going to keep the prophet safe. I kind of like having him around. And, he, and he's wanting to have kind of Jesus light. It's like I'm drawn, I'm drawn to holiness, I'm drawn to righteousness, but I don't want to actually do it. I don't want to change. And so he ends up going down this path of ultimate destruction. His conscience dies. The cure was repentance, but he would never go there. He got so far and so caught up in his sin that he went all the way to beheading John the Baptist. He was exceedingly sorry. You know, the only other time we see that in Scripture, this incredible sorrow, was Jesus in Gethsemane crying out. He had incredible sorrow there. Herod had an incredible sorrow, but he would never repent. He would never would allow himself to be freed and to have life in Christ. And so, dear saints, this morning, let us come to a place where we repent, where we surrender, and let us come running into the arms of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I just pray that in this room. I pray that you will touch hearts. Lord, we know in and of ourselves if we keep turning away from you. And so, Father, forgive us for our sin. Thank you for forgiving us. And wash us clean. Make us new again. Father, we love you, and we want to come running into your arms of forgiveness. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.